the Arab-Israeli conflict is one of the most profitable ventures in the 20th and the 21st century. You said earlier you worked with the American government, did you? Yeah. What, what was that job like? I can't talk about that. <laughs> for ah, the rest one of, of them ones. For the rest of my life. I can't talk about that at all. The Pakistani army bombed buildings with people inside. Pakistani army uh, used the prisoners, Palestinian civilians, to dig trenches. And then they would put them inside the trench and bury them alive. I know someone whose wife was killed in that process, and she was nine months pregnant. The Islamist radicals have been the sweetheart of the Western establishment. Both sides are being played by puppet masters. Hamas has a vast network of, actually, a real estate empire in both Wales and England and it finances Hamas to the core. The best method, which will help me when I become Jordan's president, I terrorize the terrorists. You mess with you got me, my vote, you <laughs> mess with me, I will mess with you 10 times fold, not just one. Information covered up, censorship, corruption. The mainstream media have proven itself to be untrustworthy. I'm here to give a platform for debate, for truth for open discussion. I'm introducing you to my podcast, Silenced with Tommy Robinson. Who exactly is Tommy Robinson? Or Stephen Gaxley-Lenn? The problem is with Islamic radio. English far-right Islamophobic activists. Since then, there's been organized protests across the country in London, Manchester, Leeds. People in their thousands are marching for what Mudar Sahan is a Jordanian who has been described as the Secretary General of the Jordanian Opposition Coalition. Born to parents of Palestinian origin in 1973, Sahan moved to live in the United Kingdom, specifically Luton in 2010. Before seeking asylum in the UK, Sahan served as Assistant Policy Coordinator at the United States Embassy in Amman. In 2014, Zahan was indicted by a Jordanian military court on four separate charges due to several articles he wrote in which he claimed that Jordan is an apartheid state resembling that of South Africa. He has two master degrees and a PhD and is well read on the Palestinian-Israel conflict. It is my pleasure to welcome him as a guest on my podcast to discuss the Middle East and the conflict along with his take on Muslims living in the UK. Welcome to my podcast, Silence. I'm Tommy Robinson, and I like to think that we sit and have discussions that many people aren't having. They're relevant. Um, I was watching the latest guest, who's a gentleman who's come here today. I was watching him on Oxford, at Oxford University. I then saw him talking at the European Union, and then I understood that he was a Muslim and a Palestinian. So I thought it would be great to sit down with the current world climax and have a discussion. So, Mudar, thank you for joining me today. Bro. Thanks for having me, Tommy. Am I right? You're the um, you're the general, the secretary general of the Jordanian opposition party. Indeed, yeah. What's that mean? Well, I represent uh, the silent majority in Jordan. I had the Jordanian opposition coalition. Uh, opposition figures in Jordan, uh, all those dictatorships, they go to jail or get killed. Therefore, for leading the opposition in Jordan, I've been sentenced to life in prison yeah. by the Jordanian king. One of the charges that was 
charged with was uh, quote unquote having a long tongue against the king. This is in, on official paper. Having <laughs> a long tongue. Uh, yeah, official crime, which is, you know, bad mouthing the king. And the second one is similar to yours, which is uh, quote unquote trying to change the structure of the society. Only in my case, they probably were more honest about punishing me for it. Uh, but, you know, I think we're both guilty of the same crime. And you were sentenced to life in prison? Yeah, uh, in absentia. Luckily, I came here and was uh, quickly granted asylum in this country. And we've been here since. A genuine asylum seeker? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah classed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like the rest of them then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but when, I, when we arrived here, I was uh, doing my PhD, University of Bedfordshire. And uh, this is how we ended up, uh, I ended up uh, basically landing in Luton. In my hometown. Yeah, and this is where I got the first third day in Luton. I, would, I saw this uh, young English guy, you know, surrounded by five, six people of my co-religionists. I could tell they're my fellow Muslims and they wanted to beat him up. And, and I was like, who's this guy? They go, oh, this troublemaker, racist guy called Tommy Robinson. <laughs> And that was the first time we met. And then we met a few times again, shook hands. We didn't probably know who I was. Uh, but here we are, Tommy. It's a pleasure to have you here. Can I rewind? Can I just rewind to the start so I can understand who you are, your upbringing? Where are you from? Where was you born? I uh, was born in Jordan, like uh, everyone else in Jordan. And, and But the only difference is the very early, I would say, American intervention. I moved to live back in my country when I was 30. When you was 30? Yeah, for the first time, like actually living in my country when I was 30. What's your country? Uh, Jordan. So, Jordan. Okay, so, but where, where did you live till you was 30 then? Uh, New Hampshire, USA. Okay. New, New Hampshire, state of New Hampshire, USA. It's uh, uh, some 30 miles above Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. People know Boston, but not New Hampshire. Okay. And uh, it, it, yeah, it's so, you know, very actually glad I have been able to be, a, to get exposed to a more liberal, more balanced culture, more balanced way of thinking. So it gave me, I would say, the best of both worlds. So my parents are both Muslims, very, very, very open-minded, very well-educated people, and uh, very westernized. At the same time, they keep the religion. So that thing, I think, gave me the ability to look through perspective. Most of us, Tommy, live in perception, which is they see things the way they see them. Very few live in perspective. I think what I'm able to enjoy regarding someone like you, for example, mm. or the average English man or woman, <coughs> is to have perspective of what they see and how they see me and my co-religionist from the other side. Okay. Where, where, where were your mom and dad from? My parents are from Palestine. My parents are, uh, they were born when Palestine was under the Hashemite occupation. My dad was born at the outskirts of Jerusalem. My what's mom. The, what's the Hashemite? Hashemites, they're the family rule in Jordan. They're okay. a family with their wives, siblings, in-laws, everything, a family of 82 individuals. 82 individuals who are from Saudi Arabia. They were installed by the Britons to rule the eastern side of Palestine. Very few people, when you say Palestine, and now with Palestine being a trending issue in the media, very few people realize what Palestine is. Palestine... What is Palestine? Because other people say there's never been a Palestine. Uh, there, there's never been a Qatar. There's never been a United Arab Emirates. There's never been a Kuwait. When 
after the Ottoman Empire, the Britons and the French came and they started creating fake countries all over the place. Uh, ironically, a country like Saudi Arabia is original. Saudi Arabia has been around on and off for 300 years. Jordan never existed before. Palestine was a Roman name for the area. So it's all fake names. This was, to be honest, Syria. This <coughs> Lebanon is a creation. Jordan is a creation. Palestine is a creation. If you want to call it a name, one label, it's Syria. Now, as far as the average person is concerned, there was a British mandate for Palestine. They, they began from the Mediterranean, where Israel is today, and it ended up at the borders of Iraq. So everything in between was British mandate for Palestine. Jordan is 78% of that. So Jordan is the Hashemite occupied, occupied Palestine because a foreign family was illegally installed and cut 78% of my country. Many people argue about Israel's legitimacy. So is Israel legitimate? How quote unquote dare the Jews come quote unquote from Poland and take over Palestine? What about the Hashemite family? They took 78% of my country illegally, no mandate. It was Churchill's decision. Britain's made a lot of mistakes as a colonial power and this was one of them. The only problem we have today is the problem persists. Hashemites, they still control the uh, Aqsa Mosque, which is a very problematic piece of real estate. It's uh, our third holiest site, Jews' first holiest site, and it's controlled by a foreign king. It doesn't make things, doesn't make sense. It's pretty much medieval, and it's time we we call things by their own name and start rocking the boat and changing the situation. Why don't we ever hear about that? Why don't we ever hear anyone arguing about the 78% that Jordan have taken of Palestine? Because the Arab-Israeli conflict is one of the most profitable ventures in the 20th and the 21st century. The Arab-Israeli conflict, the West, when they installed those governments, when they installed everyone else, let's, let's be honest, Western colonial superpowers, they had interest in the region. They didn't go there out of the kindness of their heart spend blood and treasure to occupy Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and Palestine, and Israel, and all those <coughs> countries. They went there because they had interest, colonial interest. And it was... Such as? Such as? Such keeping the wealth, the wealth in that country. Wealth in those countries is incredible, incredible wealth. Very little population. The numbers are very small. Like Saudi Arabia, it's huge. It's the size of, you know, half of Europe. And Saudi Arabia, not half of Europe, but a huge country. Two million square meters with barely 30 million people. So. Very few people, incredible wealth, they know what, what's in, in take and they've made very well abusing and taking advantage of those countries. So to make sure this happens, divide and conquer and create a persistent conflict. We, creating conflicts, Tommy, is nothing new <coughs> to the establishment, to the Western deep state, uh, all-minded establishment. It's changing now. Now with the new names popping up, even Sunak's government is actually different, and we'll talk about it in a minute, why Sunak is very, very different when it comes to foreign policy. But the old doctrine is create a crisis and manage it. The best method in the world. For what? For profit? For profit and for profit as for in control. The, the it's the very same, very same reason. Those same people in control, and this is not a conspiracy theory, this is a conspiracy fact. They're the ones allowing my fellow co-religionists to flood your continent. Let's talk about the Syrian refugees. Uh, Assad, 
they could have stopped him with one big threat. Obama could have stopped Assad from butchering his own people with just one big label threat. Like, we're gonna, you know what, I'm going I'm to kill you if you don't stop. Trump was able to stop him from butchery in one week. So what they did is, and I can, you know, authoritatively confirm that, they made sure that they emptied, systematically authorized and commissioned the exit of Syrians from their own country. <coughs> I've been to Syria when I was working for the American government. I've been to Syria on vacation and a few other things, if you know what I mean. And the Syrians love their country. Before this crisis in Syria. It was a beautiful country before Yeah, this. 15 years ago. One of the most successful countries. 50, yeah, 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard of seeing a Syrian refugee 15 years ago? Never. You've seen Palestinians, you've even see Israeli immigrants, but not Syrians. They love the country, was prosperous, country's beautiful, and it's like socialized, everything's actually available. Education for free. They had no reason to leave. They were, first, they created crisis where Obama, now there's abundant evidence, the US government under Obama was deliberately creating chaos in Syria. By, by, by deliberately creating chaos, do you mean they were funding the uprising against Not the only funding it, they've put Training it, ISIS. Everything. Right. ISIS, even the secular fighters, people didn't really have a beef with the ruler, Assad. Okay. He's Because he's, he's a minority, no? Yeah, he's, not only, they have no problem with him. He claims to be a Sunni now. He's, he's been, he's yeah, he, long time ago, his family, his mother is Sunni. Okay. So there's no general problem with him. I can attest to that. The Syrians didn't hate the ruler. What happened was, those people, one way or another, Obama and, and co, they fired up Syria. And after they fired up Syria, they miraculously opened exit ways under protection of many, many Western armies so they can flood to Jordan and to Turkey. So there's no safe pathways for them to hide in the country. But if they want to go out, yes. Then they open. So do you mean like, because they could have put a no-fly, we could have put a no-fly zone. We can enforce the zone so that the people were safe in one area. And even if they want to move, if they want to move, say, from one town to another, they're not protected. If they want to move out, they would protect them. They would receive protection from either the American army. So they're purposely making you, it so you're, that they're Purposely leaving. pushing them out. Why? And then purposely, yeah. purposely opening the doorways in Greece. What happened in Greece before, Tommy, before, before this whole fiasco? Greek Navy, you know, Greece, I'm sorry, no offense to my Greek friends. They bankrupt Greek, Greek, you know, Greek Navy is not exactly as nice as the Met Police. You love the Met Police, I bet. So they, they Greek Navy, if they found a vessel, they would shoot at it and force it to go back. And there was reports, documented reports of them sinking vessels on purpose of refugees. All of a sudden, Greece opened this doorway and the refugees could pass freely into Europe. This is one of two. This is deliberate creation of chaos within the continent, controlling the public on purpose, or this is being just too ignorant and stupid, and it will also result in distress, clash of civilization, discomfort, burden on the average European, and eventually control. So, so, so if, we, if we made sure, if, we, if the Western governments made sure that people could leave Syria, for what purpose? Why, why would we be making sure that they could flood Europe? Um, I just said it. It's at best, at best, it's stupidity, which is leading to chaos. And at chaos, you can easily control people. Or at worst, those who knew what would happen, it was a conspiracy.
so that they could bring conflict to Europe to then enforce more laws and take control. Enforce more laws, making you, you know, deter you from actually demanding your own rights by keeping you busy with those nasty, quote-unquote, nasty Muslims or nasty foreigners. Arguing amongst and, each other. Yeah, and it's, it's worked. It's worked. People are busy now, scared. Uh, a lot of terrorists, openly documented terrorists, have uh, uh, come and become refugees and they're receiving, you know, all the welfare and benefits they can get, in, especially Germany, welcomed a huge number of them. Sweden now, Sweden, I went to Sweden and I saw what happened to Sweden, how Sweden now is no. So to tell me that this is always a miscalculation, yeah. ha having come from government, having worked in the, say, quote unquote, the deep state, it's, I refuse to believe any of this was by coincidence. And now your children and definitely mine will have to deal with the outcome. Let's rewind that again with what you just said there. I just want to rewind again because to get on to your upbringing. So you were brought up in America. Yeah. Went to school to get good grades. Um, I, I was a, I was a good student, and what I did like, the, yeah. I did you know my bachelor's in um, business administration, masters in business administration, masters in health administration, a PhD in uh, bank and information systems, and then another PhD with the Durham University in the political science in the Arab-Israeli conflict. And one of the things I found out, this is back, taking us to where we were what just... What year was this? What? What year did you do this? Mm, when yeah, I finished what? Yeah, Which yeah. one? Uh, the Arab-Israeli conflict. Um, 20... Yeah, last year. Last oh, year shit. oh, okay, that recent, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. it's the second method and takes, you know, Durham University is quite a big okay. deal, so it takes a few years to okay. finish that, yeah. So, um, yeah, um, it's, I'll, I'll just quote Ram Emanuel. Ram Emanuel is Obama's chief of staff. He's former mayor of Chicago, Israeli, but you know, I don't think he's the most sympathetic or loving of the Jewish state. This, and I quote one of the most critical words he's ever said, quote unquote, no crisis should go to waste. We keep seeing crisis after crisis after crisis. And benefit and benefit. And benefit. this is the Israeli-Arab conflict. In my studies, I found out that Britain pushed Arab countries to actually go and fight the newborn Jewish state. To go and what? Fight the Jewish state in 1948 when the Jewish state declared independence. Britain, Britain, encouraged, Britain Arab encouraged Arab nations to fight them. And at the same time, British was, Britain was supportive of the Jewish state. So, you know, you support both sides. And in every war. Yeah, and uh, you win, you know, working both ends against the middle. Works all the time. Okay, so, and again, so was you an only child? Was you an only child, Muda? So what? Was you an only child? No, 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 I wasn't an only child. I've got uh, five sisters and another boy. Yeah, my a big brother. Muslim family. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we were always good at it. Good at it you know, <laughs> Defeating the Western culture in, yeah, in, 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 over the weekend, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and, um, and and so you went, you left, you left America at thirty. Went back to Jordan. Why? Left America, went back to Jordan because it was time to join the family's business, and it was an incredibly wonderful opportunity to work for the U.S. Department of State, where with you know both the embassies in Iraq and Jordan. What was the family's business? Family's business, they own real estate, lots of it, and they, they, they do very, very well. And this is one of the arguments, you know, that people like me, 
who are, let's say, not disadvantaged, never rebel against the system. And when I first began this war against the regime in Jordan, peaceful war, one of the questions that got asked was what by a former Jordanian prime minister, like, what's wrong with you? You know, we know, we know you, Dad. We know who you are. No one was ever mean to you. You have everything nobody else has. Why are you doing this? And so the, eventually the theory was that someone's paying him to do all of this trouble, but it's the opposite. I lost a lot of money because of it. Well, they're thinking you're a spy. Yeah, 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 big time, yeah, yeah. They, they thought I was a Mossad, they thought I was everything, and they definitely keep rep repeating this. And Mossad is you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you too, as in Bono. Everyone says I'm, a Mos I'm part of Mossad because <laughs> I had a Mossad t-shirt on, like yeah. from a souvenir shop. <laughs> Tell me, um, so you, you just said, you said earlier you worked with the American government, did you? Yeah. What, what was that job role? I can't talk about that. <laughs> for ah, the rest one of, of them ones. For the rest of my life. I can't talk about that at all. <laughs> But let's just so say... So he was a spy. <laughs> no. Um, I worked for the U.S. government, uh, for the U.S. government, particularly with the embassies in Amman and Jordan. And it was in uh, Amman, Jordan and Baghdad, Iraq. This was during the war, the most critical times. And I finished my uh, work with him uh, after I fled to the United Kingdom. So it was a resignation after I left the country. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and um, and what you was working with him during the time in Baghdad is that with the invasion of Iraq? No, no, that's uh, after the invasion. After. I was there shortly after, and I stayed there a few years after, still working for them on, okay. on that thing. Okay, so like a good seven, eight years after the invasion. Yeah. So when you've gone to when you've gone to Jordan when you're thirty, how many years did you stay there? S close to seven years, six years and a half, seven years. Yeah, and that was enough for me to basically get on the regime's wrong foot. You know, you do what you do in Jordan, you get killed. Okay, speak out. So you out. should, you should you, feel you, lucky if you, know, you speak the, out. Nobody's killing you, you know. Yeah, not yet. No, yeah, yeah, not, at least not officially. Yeah. <laughs> what, and and um, are you married to children? Yes. Where'd you, where'd, you, where'd you meet your wife? My, my, yeah, uh, my wife who just met, she's busy with the kids. Yeah. My wife, uh, yeah, she's Jordanian of Palestinian heritage too. And uh, we've got uh, four kids, yeah, Adnan, Lily, Daniel, and Yara. <laughs> Where did you meet your wife? Uh, by pure coincidence, to a f in a family event. <laughs> okay, not in Jordan. In Jordan. Oh, in Jordan. Yeah. Okay. And do you know when you hear, because I keep saying Palestine, it's Palestinian, the land of where Israel is, mm -hmm. is it Jewish land? Okay, it's a very, very... I think a relevant question, is it Jewish land or not? If you want to go by the Quran, which is my religion, my holy book, yep. the Quran is very clear. It says, children of Israel, conquer the land that God has written for you, as in Arabic it means given to you. So from a Quranic point of view, the land belongs to them because God granted it to them. Long, land belongs to the Jews? Yeah, yes, from a, the Quran's point of view. Okay. So, it, it, and it's a whole, there's a whole saga in the Quran saga about, you know, how they conquered the infidels because they called the Canaanites as infidels, which according to more, all Abrahamic religions, they were idol worshippers and how God empowered them into conquering and so on. So there's, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, the most mentioned name in the Quran is uh, Prophet uh, Moses. That said, there's bigger than dogma.
or something. Dogma in, in the sense that, you know, the Native Americans in the United States, the land belongs to them. If, and I'm not saying Israelis did that, what if those Native Americans today go to Manhattan, New York, and they say, you know, this is Native American Indian land, get out. It's not going to work. So there's also the argument, the counter argument. Let's say the Jews had, quote unquote, nothing to do with Palestine, with the Holy Land. Let's say they had zero connection. <clears throat> In this country, we meet young men whose parents arrived in this country illegally 18 years ago, 15 years ago. And they ripped up the passport into pieces, claimed to be from Palestine or from Tambukto or anywhere else, and they claim asylum and they become Britons. The son, daughter is born here. Okay, and after that, they, the parents get exposed for lying on their application and the passports are taken away. The boy, the son, the child is not stripped of their citizenship because they obtained it legally. They didn't do anything wrong. So in that sense, if we are, and I'm talking to my fellow Arabs, and they follow me, and they watch me, and I'm going to translate some of this too, for them caption it to read it. So if the Jews were, had zero connection to that land, they arrived, they purchased land, they prospered, they opened hospitals in the 20s, they brought a lot of modernization with them to Palestine. I remember that. And also, they've always been there. That said, is it correct to say to someone who's been there for eight generations that this is your, not your country, this is Muslim land that you have to leave? It doesn't make any sense. I think they deserve something. I think they are legitimate as any other country is. We don't agree with everything Israel does, but again, do you agree with everything Britain does? Yeah, agree with anything. Do you agree with everything Palestine, the Palestinian Authority does? Do Americans agree with everything America does? Uh, Jews, I think, are being awfully demonized. And I think a lot of those championing the Palestinian cause are a lot of them are genuine people who are hurting because of what they see happening in Gaza. Children getting killed and so on, regardless of why, how. They see a photo of a child dead and it's painful, even for everyone. You wouldn't, you wouldn't approve of that. On the other hand, people championing this thing are one or two. The champions. Anti-Semites or Islamic radicals. I've seen them. I've known them. I've seen faces of them. I went to some of the, them protests and I can tell one when I see one. And there's also names involved and there's also connections with bigger names in the United States like Linda Sartor and bigger donors than you and I. Yeah. So is it a parade for Palestine? Possible. People who join with those flags probably want to save and help Palestine. But those organizing it, I'm just curious, the largest rump of Palestinians is in Jordan. Jordan has 10.5 million Palestinians. So that's a good, you know, 50 something percent of all Palestinians in the world. Jordanians is a Palestinian heritage in Jordan. They live under apartheid, full apartheid regime like, like South Africa. No one speaks about it. How come there are no protests? How come there hasn't been a single protest for the Palestinian rights, civil rights in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Syria, you know, 
in Syria, you know, we all saw the Al-Tadamun massacre. You probably never heard about it, but it was in the news, where the Assad's forces rounded up Palestinians in the Amok refugee camp. A full video, half an hour of them shooting them and throwing them into a ditch. Where, where, where's the rage? Where's the protest? So in my opinion, it's more about hating the Jews than anything else. When you just made the comment that Palestinians are living under apartheid, can you explain that? What, what does that mean? Well, uh, We hear a lot about apartheid accusations of Israel, but what do you mean? Do they not have equal rights? Are they not allowed certain jobs? Do they, <laughs> what, what does that mean in Jordan or Palis in Lebanon? Jo the Jordanian-Palestinian majority, let me start by saying, you know, as a Jordanian, the king, the regime is mean to everyone, regardless of heritage. If you're Bedouin, if you're Gypsy, if you're anything, you're still being mistreated in Jordan. It's a dictatorship, one man rule. But the only difference is for Jordanians and Palestinian heritage, let's do the math. They're banned from senior government jobs. They're banned from any state job other than a doctor or a teacher because they need those, not because they can't. They don't have representation in the parliament, representation in the House of Lords, they don't have any. They don't have uh, any serious representation. There's not a single Jordanian ambassador of Palestinian heritage, not a single Jordanian uh, university president, chancellor from a Palestinian heritage. In local government, Palestinians are the majority. The government, local government is not elected. They're banned from everything, even on television, Jordanian state television, when they interview someone, like asking them what they think of the weather, there are, I have documents where they tell them particularly don't meet anyone of Palestinian heritage. So they are a ghost population living in, in the void under very strict apartheid rules which is identical to South Africa. In Lebanon, Palestinians, Palestinians are not allowed 75 jobs and they are not allowed to get out of their refugee camp after 8, 8 p.m. So the question is, where's the rage? Now let me say something about Israel. Yeah. Israel has what we see, you know, what we see is the checkpoints and the Israeli soldiers always blocking or chasing people. I think you went to the Holy Land, didn't I you? Did you? You went to Israel, right? Yeah, yeah. In the West Bank, before the involvement of Hamas, Palestinians had every single right the Israelis had except an Israeli passport. They had access, full access to healthcare. They were pretty much like French nationals living in the UK before Brexit. Mm. They would travel anywhere. People from Gaza would vacation in Tel Aviv, vacation in northern Israel. When this whole Oslo business came along, uh, everything went into ruins. And with the terror attacks taking place every day, the Israelis had to place the checkpoints. Do Israelis make mistakes? Yes. They make incredibly ridiculous mistakes. But... It's not by any means deliberate. There's no systematic, I can authoritatively confirm, Israel does not have a systematic approach of either expelling or killing the Palestinians. It's not true. What about, I've seen the argument then that Jordan took in refugees and those refugees called Palestinian refugees. Is this the argument that Jordan has for not allowing them to rise up? Yeah. And then that... And then there was, there was conflict, and they had to expel lots of Palestinian refugees. Well, Jordan took, first of all, they never expelled refugees because we are milking cow for them. Because you're what? We are a milking cow, okay. milk producing cow. We, know we produce taxes with zero representation, so you can't dream of any better population. 1970, the Palestinians, you know, they are 
today they stand and I can prove it at over 98% of the population make it 90, 97% that's huge in Jordan okay so they are the majority they went home to Jordan and they found this little king with a small army of like barely 10,000 soldiers and all the Palestinians had guns and there was then in those days a good three million of them so automatically they expelled again the king kicked him out of his palace his own admission in his book King Hussein he was living in some palace in the suburbs because they took over the country it's their country first of all the American point of view and the Israeli point of view was quote-unquote to reach a Palestinian settlement in Jordan by allowing the Palestinians to win allowing the Palestinians to control the country so this thus will they will have their own state and that's it the end of the chapter Henry Kissinger who passed away just a few days ago released White House documents show that he was pushing Nixon into allowing the Palestinians to control the country in order to establish a Palestinian state and against he used the term Palestinian settlement Nixon refused what happened then is we still King Hussein couldn't win against the Palestinians they imported the Pakistani army who did the Jordan. Jordanian king to crush the Palestinians yeah to crush the Palestinians it's it was I think called the second armored uh, division of the Pakistani army under who later became the president of Pakistan Zia al-Haq and they butchered the Palestinians in up to six days they butchered and you know accounted for 30,000 people and people who weren't missing is like double that allow me just to share something because you won't hear this from me and please remember I'm an expert in the field I'm not someone who read it on Facebook I'm an expert in the field I hold a PhD in the field that said uh, here's the question the Pakistani army bombed buildings with people inside Pakistani army uh, used the prisoners Palestinian civilians to dig trenches and then they would put them inside the trench and bury them alive this is like not consistent testimonies to that I know someone whose wife was killed in that process and she was nine months pregnant he's a relative of my wife's family that said I've met the guy that said you know the Pakistani army which is with all due respect the ruling ruling class in Pakistan they've committed the utmost most ruthless massacre in the history of the Palestinian nation as a new nation oh, yeah. yet on the other hand we see the Pakistani army and the Pakistani government always keen on scolding Jews and Israel for quote-unquote what they did to the Palestinians when will the Pakistani army apologize for what for butchering all those Palestinians including my own what, relatives what, what year was that they butchered 1970 okay so the Pakistani army we still have the blood of our children and relatives on the hands of the Pakistani military establishment the best they can do the least they can do apologize or at least acknowledge what they did okay if they can't they won't acknowledge okay not much to expect from them anyways why are they so why is Pakistan so so gung-ho about Palestinian rights and accusing Israel of abusing the Palestinians Israel never killed 30,000 plus Palestinians in six days it's never happened in the history of Israel have you ever looked at Baluchistan 
yeah, sure. which is Pakistani army have took control of Balochistan, yeah. took all their resources, enslaved their people, stole yeah. all the wealth. No one talks about it. Why that as well? Why does no one talk about these conflicts or these oh. these war crimes when when all we see every day at the minute on the news, not every day, every year, is free Palestine from Israel? Well, it's, what's the difference? The, the Arab-Israeli conflict is very profitable. That's it, this yeah. is the richest region in the world. Big business. And people like people who have no say, like Germany. What what does the globalist German government have? Of any say in the Middle East, they've never occupied a, a you know a a, a a parking lot in the Middle East. So they've never they they foreign to the region, and they're still always making comments about the region. Why? Because of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Bush, President Bush of the United States, when he was Vice President, he pushed for the creation of Hamas. Why? I'll tell you why. First of all, Bush allowed the creation so of it's Hamas. America again. Yeah. Not America. America has changed. But it's the globalist cabal within the United States championed by the Bush family until recently. So Bush Sr. was the vice president and he created Hamas under his watch. He authorized King Hussein of Jordan and the Jordanian intelligence, which by the way is, is, has been, which was established and trained by the MI6. He authorized him to create a military branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. So Hamas today literally is, as far as the hierarchy go, is Palestine chapter, again, I repeat, Palestine chapter of the Muslim Brotherhood of Jordan. Who controls the Muslim Brotherhood of Jordan? The Muslim Brotherhood of Jordan is fully controlled by the King of Jordan. I'll quote the King because some people are going to sound like, come on, this guy. Okay, listen to the King. Interview with The Atlantic Magazine, April 2013. King says, Jordan, and you can look it up on YouTube, on uh, Google. Um, King says, Muslim Brotherhood is a part of the regime. Or he used the word system, is a part of the system. Uh, and another interview, and I forgot with who, but it's in, I think it was CNN, he said they are a legitimate organization and a part of the system. The King's senior advisor, Bassam Haddadin, in uh, November 2011, on Al Jazeera, he said the Muslim Brotherhood is a part of the Hashemite regime. Um, Vice uh, Deputy Prime Minister of Jordan, Marwan al muasher and you can always look this up, he said the Muslim Brotherhood came from the womb, womb of the Hashemite regime. And last but not least, the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood in Jordan said on television, we have always been with the regime at every corner. So you are talking a political party which the king controls, who controls Hamas. And prior to these attacks, the king and his media and his wife, fellow Palestinian Queen Rania, she was in Ireland and she made a speech just a day before the terror attacks on September, uh, 7th of October. She was threatening Israel, like Israel kills Palestine. And it was, the event where she was, was about youth, young people, young men, and everyone was like, why is she talking about that? So what you're saying is the King of Jordan's wife gave a speech in Dublin. Yeah. The day before the yeah, and October she was, 7th attacks. She was very tough on Israel. She was talking about Israel kills Palestinians. And everyone then wondered, including Jordanian people, why now? And just less than 18 hours after this whole fiasco began with the terror attacks in Gaza against Israel, Israelis. And uh, basically, let's put it to you this way, 
the Muslim Brotherhood is a very tightly controlled regime. The headquarters of the global Muslim Brotherhood is in Amman, Jordan, which is just two and a half miles away from the King's Palace. And there's no way Hamas would have pulled this one off without full approval of Jordan's Muslim Brotherhood. Jordan's Muslim Brotherhood would have never even dare authorized this without full approval of the king. So it's either that he cannot control his people, the Muslim Brotherhood, which he openly says is a part of the regime, or he just authorized it. Knowing him and knowing the way he does things, I think he has authorized it. Can I prove it? No, but at best, people would, should wonder. You know, there's enough evidence how much Hamas abides by the rules of the Muslim Brotherhood of Jordan. So how is Jordan's king, you know, so chummy with them? And is Jordan's king, because obviously these groups you're talking about, they're jihadist groups. They're, yeah, 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 big time. The Islamic yeah. Caliphate, that's what they want, mm. world domination. Is that, I didn't re think that the Jordan's king or his wife were strict, devout, Muslims as such, or are they? Well, not would you say they're polit would you say they're ideologically on side with those groups, or are they um, appeasing those it's groups? It's a marriage of convenience. I mean, I, I've said that before. When Bush Jr. W. He was deporting after 9/11. He he be, he began deporting Muslims left and right. I think the year 2003, he deported I think in excess of 200,000 Arabs, let alone Muslims. Did he? Yeah, so they were deporting everyone who's Muslim who's not a citizen, basically. They would find any small mistakes, like, oh, 10 years ago, you didn't file for your taxes, leave. So he was deporting Muslims left and right indiscriminately, and he was meeting at the White House twice a year with CARE. Yeah, CARE. Who CARE are the founders of Hamas. CARE are the, 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 the hot nest for Abu Marzouk. Abu Marzouk is the leader of Hamas, who was financing Hamas. Let's get this clear. Care, care the organization in the United States, because they sued my friend. Mm. Uh, I believe it, yeah. They sued Laura Luma to silence her, to put a gag in order on her. They have mass money and they're influential in the United yeah, yeah, States, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, And what, what, should, what would you say their relationship is with Hamas? Their relationship is, they have a close relationship with, they had a close relationship with Abu Marzouk. Abu Marzouk is a Gazan professor who used to teach in the United States, who is now a Hamas leader. He was leading the uh, Hamas and financing Hamas from the United States. And he had connections to, he had friends at CARE. You can verify this with a recent article by a former uh, New York uh, deputy uh, state attorney, McCarthy, Andrew McCarthy. You can Google it, it's called Made Hamas Made in the USA. But they have all been made in the USA and Great Britain. Like to a great to a great extent. But the point is, care we're not accusing <laughs> care of being Hamas. We're not saying care is Hamas. We're not saying Because they is sue terrorist. everyone. But no no, I'm not afraid scared of them. They they're welcome to sue me if they wish. But I'm saying is care is can they deny that they are affiliated or connected or friends with the Muslim Brotherhood? So Bush who couldn't tolerate Muslim gas station workers or Muslim PhD students. Allowed them. And he allowed them twice every year. Okay, you know what? They're not Muslim Brotherhood. What? But they are open about their policy towards Israel, which is very consistent with the Muslim Brotherhood. So you go back to Jordan, the king's wife, who's very, very westernized and stunning. 
Yeah, yeah, she's a very beautiful woman. That's no question. You know, she's only that she's very ugly inside. I think. That said, uh, on the inside. That said, the king and his wife they use them as leverage. And who would have ever thought? Do they use them as leverage so they don't turn on them in their own? No, nation? no, no, no. They control them. <coughs> they use them like a you know a pitbull. Neighborhood pitbull where you can unleash whatever you want and do whatever you want. So that said, I'll give you evidence. Um, evidence was, uh, and it was in the New York Times and elsewhere, where in 2018, weapons sold to the Jordanian intelligence was actually, <coughs> weapons sold to the Jordanian intelligence was actually found to have been delivered to ISIS. So how on earth a very tightly controlled intelligence agency would authorize selling weapons to ISIS? Then this was when ISIS were fighting yeah. in Syria, though. Yeah, in, in Syria, Assad. in Syria, yeah, in Syria. So geopolitical. And it was all over the place. It was a huge scandal. Then it didn't stop there. Uh, there was another scandal, and this is all stuff you can find on Google. Google, like in legitimate places, Wall Street Journal, Reuters, and elsewhere. So it's not some conspiracy site. Uh, the it's eighty-seven. Thousand rounds of M16 ammunition stolen from the British Army in Jordan and sold to ISIS. Um, then there's uh, Russia Today and Sputnik. Well, regardless of what you think of them, they I think they're right. They both worse than the BBC. You reported Toyotas, which you know the the, the beloved uh, vehicle for ISIS. Sadly, you know, not accusing Toyota of anything here, but... Accusing who? What? Not accusing what? Toyota of anything. Oh, Toyota. Okay. But, you know, oh, it's yeah, the, the favorite weapon, fa favorite <laughs> vehicle for ISIS. Animas. Toyotas, thousands of Toyotas were delivered to the Jordanian army, and they were found with ISIS after being bombed. They traced the chassis numbers, and it turned out to be the weapon sold to Jordan. In addition, in addition... The highest number of volunteers to, um, to, to ISIS volunteers came from Jordan. In Jordan, if you don't pay your phone bill, you get arrested. You can't leave the country. You can't go through borders checkpoints. How were they casually able to... So it's not the conspiracy theory. It's the facts is, again, either that the king is very dumb at what he's doing and can't control his own people and can't control his own country and therefore is a threat to everyone else. Or he's just an accomplice. Uh, by the way, this young uh, uh, woman, Shemaima Begum, yep. the gentleman who s smuggled her into ISIS zone, uh, I forgot his name, his name keep, kept coming up, yep. had traveled to Jordan several times. It came up in the investigation that he was... How do you become... How is a nicest recruiter a frequent traveler to Jordan? Even people with British passports, like an English Christian, Tommy Robinson, for example, or anyone else. When I they travel- to, I might go to Jordan. <laughs> you should. How do you think I'll get them? <laughs> if you go to Jordan, you trust me, they question you at the border. Will I come back? You know, you probably will. After this interview, I doubt it, but yeah. <laughs> but, and- But I, th I, think it, I think your missus is fit, mate. <laughs> 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 Definitely. Well, Jordan is a police state. For someone to cross the borders and join ISIS without the government Wouldn't knowing happen. is out of the question. But do you think the government were knowing because at the time, they, they're, they're, are they a puppet for America? Because America were allowing and wanting ISIS to be strong in that region to take out Assad, right? 
Saudi okay. wanted it, America okay. wanted it. Okay, simple. Saudi didn't want it. No? Qatar wanted it. Qatar wanted it, okay. And another Arab Gulf state, which I won't mention for now. But that said, um, the king is not doing this. <clears throat> Whatever he's doing, let's set the record straight. The seeds for all of this, where it began. The Islamist radicals have been the sweet heart of the Western establishment. There's many reasons for that. The first reason was the Soviet threat. In Afghanistan. So, you know, you need the, this whole Islamic block of people, reservoir of human capital. You wanted them to support your potential war with USSR. So they were very, very, they propped up Islam and they sent them to Afghanistan. We give them bases in London yeah, to, yeah, to radicalize. In London, that's a different story. Now, after mm -hmm. the end of Afghanistan and shortly after when, the, after the Russians um, evacuated and uh, left, and after that, the Taliban, when they attacked, the bin Laden attacked, they pulled off the 9-11 attack with all the questions around that issue. Yeah, because do you believe Bin Laden did pull off the 9-11? Um, I believe that uh, it is very likely that someone knew and didn't do anything. Well, we now, we now know, don't we, from the files that were released recently, that Saudi Arabia government knew that they were supporting two of the hijackers. Um, um, they, were, they were on student scholarships, but not supported by the Saudi intelligence. Mm. I'm not here to advocate for, uh, on behalf of Saudi Arabia, but to be honest with you, yep. A lot of the accusations made to the Saudis are not true. So you believe that? So you just so you believe that America knew it was going to happen, but let it happen. It's very, <coughs> very likely within the intelligence apparatus, someone exactly knew what was going to happen and allowed it to happen because an operation of that scale, the fact that Muslims and Arabs are always, often, already under surveillance in the United States prior to 9/11, for this 19 people to come out of and they say nobody knew. At best, someone knew and didn't take it seriously. All I know is, all I know is, there has been a huge intelligence fa failure in 9/11, and uh, no one in the intelligence apparatus got fired. What about the huge intelligence failure on October 7th? Um, October 7th, I can tell you more about that. So Please. sadly, you know, we need a few episodes to discuss this. But October 7th, there's a lot of conspiracy theories in Israel itself. There's claimed, a lot of people asking a lot of questions Yeah, now. that maybe the Israeli government allowed it, quote-unquote, allowed it to happen. In reality, uh, the situation on the ground was different, and I've checked with Gazans. It turned out the protection on the borders was already, you know, already weak. Uh, Gazans would illegally walk, <coughs> walk into the settlements to seek work, and the Israelis would actually hire them. And I met some guy and I asked him, he told me, I walked into like uh, three hours into one settlement until I was caught. So the borders, from what I've seen, at least in the West Bank and elsewhere, is not as tight as we think. You know, we think, you know, machine fences and, and machine <coughs> guns. And it, to be honest, it's a myth. Yeah, because I, I, I always saw about this big wall and I thought there was a whole wall around Gaza. And then when I went there, the wall was about 20 meters long. And I was like, well, that's it. And I thought it was surround the whole place. And then it was like, there was nothing. I could see where we were looking at it. It's like a little fence here. And then miles, miles that way, another little fence. And they were patrolling in between. The concept was Israel was operating on was deterrence. They thought that 
Hamas can do it, but they won't do it because if they do it, we're going to start a war again and uh, they can't afford to do it. They never thought for, if by any means that Hamas would push 3,000 uh, terrorists into the borders. So they, it is a huge failure. A lot of people deserve to get fired and actually potentially even court-martialed. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't feel there's a conspiracy theory in place or a conspiracy in place. You, in that you don't think that the Israeli intelligence services, the best in the world, you don't think that they would have had, out of 3,000 would-be jihadists, that someone there would have spoke out of those 3,000 that would have got back to their intelligence services somehow? They wouldn't have monitored they didn't take it. They didn't take it seriously because the concept of Hamas pulling, a, going on a suicide mission was not actually expected. And the people in Hamas, the people who call the shots in Hamas, uh, on the ground, they want it. Would, would never want because they have their children in Gaza, they have their wives and mistresses in Gaza, they have their fancy German cars in Gaza, they have their... Gaza's beautiful, by the way. I know. Can, yeah, we, so, can we just clarify this? Because people keep calling it an open-air prison, and I've been looking at videos, and it looked before the war... There's beautiful parts, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, parts. and also this is the Palestinian concept. I mean, Palestinians are very innovative people. Look at Jordan. Look at they 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 do well. They are dubbed the Jews of the Middle East. Very smart. They build out of nothing, and this that that's the the traits. But that said, the rulers of Hamas inside Gaza they want this. The ones who push this are the ones from outside in Qatar upon orders in Jordan and Qatar. Khalid, Khalid Michel and Ishmael Haniyeh, the rulers of Hamas, rule rulers, <coughs> the ones who call the shots are in Jordan and Qatar. Yesterday there was a video leaked of a Hamas minister, government minister, who said that everyone thought whoever did this was by the crazies. So you can tell neither the Israelis or the average Hamas terrorist thought this would actually happen. Um, yeah, pretty much it. So who... Okay, so... So it, the conflict even, say the conflict that you see, uh, you're a Muslim, the conflict with Israel, is it to do with land or is it religious? It's, it's neither. In what way? Because, uh, and I'll explain why. <coughs> when I went to Israel, I went to, the, I went to um, a Fatah controlled refugee camp in Bethlehem, near Bethlehem, yeah? And I spent, met a fourth generation refugee, Palestinian refugee. And I kept asking him, who's oppressing you? And I was expecting him to say Israel. And he kept saying the Palestinian Authority. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And he said that, then he explained the <coughs> Palestinian Authority who received British taxpayers' money. The Palestinian Authority pay money every month. So if, if any man, and he corrected me, he said if someone leaves, because there was all the murals, of the, all the terrorists on the walls, which they said were freedom fighters, there was some woman who blew up a bus. And they said that when, if someone leaves this camp and goes and kills an Israeli, and I, and I said, what, if they kill a Jew? And he goes, no, he corrected me, kills an Israeli. It didn't matter if it was Jew kills an Israeli, then they get money for the rest of their life. So their family escaped the refugee camp. So then I looked at him and thought, well, that's mercenaries. You're just mercenaries. So when I'm seeing these attacks on the TV of people stabbing, is that jihad? Is it anger over land? Or is it just to get the money, to get, to get out of the refugee camp for, their, for the fifth generation, the sixth generation, the seventh generation? The only way out seems to be go kill an Israeli. Okay, well, it's a, okay, there's two ways to answer this question, I'll, and I'll try to make it short. One, why is it happening? It's happening because the conflict, the fake, bogus conflict was designed to be that way, to be sustainable, self-sustainable, like right. a hybrid vehicle, you know, doesn't need a lot of fuel to put into it, just a little drops of hate and money. And boom. And you see the outcome. 
And uh, people keep claiming, you know, Palestinians, they keep claiming that they are the Palestinians. And Jews claim, oh, we, Israel, the country that's the strongest superpower in the Middle East and with the best intelligence and the best air force. And the, sorry, both sides are being played by puppet masters. They're put in a predicament, in a position where they will only act the way they act. And both are being used to fuel interest of people very, very far away, and it's been working very fine for them. On the other hand, the Palestinians. Why do they do this? Most Palestinians who do this, the young men who commit this, it's not only the indoctrination, it's also the loss of hope. They don't exactly calculate that they're going to get so-and-so money, so because when they get the money, they're going to get this and this and that. It's not exactly the calculation. What they do is they are born hopeless, born dead. Well, he said, he, the lad said, I'm a fourth generation refugee. My children will be fifth. Theirs will be sixth. <coughs> We're never escaping here because they want us here. It benefits them to have us as refugees yeah, yeah, forever. Yeah. They've had four times as much money after, money after Germany after the World War. Mm. He's a Palestine, he's, he, he, he was a Muslim. He said, never, never fund free Palestine because it does not come to us. Exactly. That's what None he said. You, I'm sitting there, he's a Muslim, and I'm like, in, in the refugee camp, and he's laughing. Like, don't give free Palestine. It goes to rockets. We, we never get any of it, you yeah. know. And uh, Ramallah, if you go to Ramallah, and you see those Rolls Royces, chauffeured or driven by young Palestinian women, and you have to wonder, where does this come from? And you should see British pounds bills all over the place, and American tax dollars and euros all over the place. People never get any of this. There's no welfare system, no free healthcare system. When I stayed in the West Bank, I could smell trash all over no, the there place. There was nothing. I, I went to the. I, I walked. So I went there as who I was. I walked around the. <coughs> when I left, I wanted to give them money. I, I, I played football with the kids. There's no football pitch. We're just playing in a little back street. There's no park. I said, "Where's the park for the kids?" There is no park. So what do you mean there's no park? Like there's nothing. There was nothing at all. And the money being pumped into that place yeah. is incredible. So they could all, that's what he said, we could all have villas, we could all have big houses. Yeah. We, each but, one of us could yeah, have a big house. Governments who push your tax dollars in there are not stupid. So what you're arguing, so, so like, like the, the invasion of Afghanistan wasn't to just invade Afghanistan, it was meant to be a long war to benefit, yeah? You're saying it's, it's you're saying it's the same concept with it's that only, Israel Palestine is it's the same. Not only not only to a forever benefit, war. Yeah, like like I'll give you a, a much easier example. You know, uh, Israel gets three three billion a year, three billion plus from, a year from the United States. The U.S. has military. That money doesn't actually go to Israel. That money goes to buy more weapons, which Israel would have not needed if the war was if Hamas still didn't exist or so if PLO get, didn't. Okay. So it's you know it's a control method. The only one who rebelled against it is um, Trump, Donald Trump, and now the ones behind Donald Trump, and I I I, I think I can safely talk about this, are patriots within the intelligence and military apparatus. You could hate Trump or like him. It's much bigger than Trump. Trump is just the facade for a very patriotic, peace-loving organization. They don't want to see American lives wasted. Not only that, they've had enough with the way things are being done. We've been engaged in non-stop wars for, for the past 120 years. And all over the place, the drug war, which is non-ended, the War on Terror, which is a complete joke. The war in uh, in uh, Southeast Asia, 
those wars and that nonsense. You name it. And now the war in Ukraine. So this, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. And people are going to, you know, the, the, the... It's a lot to talk, you know. Tommy Robinson is not your average individual, okay? Tommy is the person you would actually love to hate and at the same time hate to love. So you that's, up, you know, any... You many, my ex-wife. No, 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 not in that sense, no. <laughs> not in that sense, bro, married, four children. But the thing is, talking to you, Tommy, brings in a lot of issues and stirs a lot of demons inside me. Mm. I mean, we can keep talking forever, but I'll make it what we short. Here you go. The demonization, you know, those people running things through chaos, what's happened to Europe over the past 10 years, Europe is under war in all aspects with pushing all those refugees. The refugees are victims here. They're not the people who are destroying your continent. But those people were pushed against their will to be in this place. So well, there's an attack on European culture, an attack on European ethnicity, like white men are evil. That's, that's what I've been seeing, demonization of the white, average white man, you know? Demonization in the sense that, you know, it comes to other races, like a different race, white versus different race. Demonization of white man versus children versus alternative lifestyle versus women. So the, this is where, again, the Muslims in Europe are winning a huge fight, by the way, if there is a fight. They have one advantage. They, they keep in tight to their family. Yeah, they've got the family unit they've and they're masculine. Got, they've got the nuclear family. That's the, the ultimate point of strength. And they've got something called respect for family roles. Respect your elders. Respect your father. Wife respecting her husband. I'm not talking about, you know, beat up, beat up your wife or do what... No, I, uh, understand, yeah, but, I understand. But what, it's what, the, what we're seeing, you know, you know, kids, you know, men demonize. Feral this is now. breaking the soul of the European continent. And Europe has produced a lot to the world. Has produced a lot for the good of the world. And that continent is being broken systematically. By who? It's a question I always get asked. Who's doing this? Who? Who's behind the... Who wants to destroy Europe and why? What's, what, do, what does anyone get out of the destruction? Say it is, they're openly flooding Europe with Muslim migration, with the outcome which we believe will turn into a clash of civilizations. Mm. Who benefits from that? Is this a benefit of a one-world government? Is That's what I'm asking. Is it a one-world government? Is it corporations? Is it globalists? Is it, it what? What's the outcome, and who's pushing? Well, those people, because they removed Gaddafi in order to flood Europe. Yeah, they yeah, had to get yeah, rid of him. Yeah, yeah. But but and who? they've shaken Assad. And, and and what do you think of Assad? Um, he's a, as an individual, he's a scumbag, but he represented stability. Christians were safe under Assad. Yeah. And Muslims were safe under Yeah, everyone Assad. was safe under Assad. And the country was prosperous. But Saudi wanted, Saudi wanted rid of him, no? 
No, no, Saudi had no problem with them. The, I think the Qataris. The, the Qataris, okay. The Prime Minister of Qatar, former Prime Minister of Qatar, is now ma has been making interviews, spilling the beans. Okay. And it was it was mainly the Qataris and the also United Arab Emirates was involved, sadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, that said, you know, a lot, everyone is, everyone had the, listen, America wanted it at the time, Obama. So who is anyone like United Arab Emirates or Nothing anyone to say them. no? Yeah, of course. You know that's if you don't play along, you're, you're gonna be next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and they know that. That said, now you ask me who who's behind it. Hmm. Well, the people behind it are not actually even bothered to hide themselves. If you watch the sessions of the World Economic Forum, Schwab, they open about what they want things to be. You just said it earlier. You know, you'll own nothing and be happy. They open about opening, you know, the floodgates of refugees. And they support their own people who would make sure that this policy is carried on. Like Angela Merkel, for example. And, and all the NGOs. And, and a lot of other people. And is that, yeah. they spend generously and they make sure that they systematically demonize and destroy anyone like you, for example. Regardless of whether Tommy Robinson is a good or a bad guy, racist or not, as long as it's standing against their agenda. Now, who are those people? Where are they? I hate to tell you this, but this, the godfather of this whole process is a dead man now. Bush Sr. President Bush. He was the vice president for eight years, then the president for four he planted the seed of this whole thing. Of what whole thing? Globalism? Globalism, it's just a fancy package name. One world government. For not even one world government. It's package name of creating chaos and moving all the asset to the far east, particularly, and I'm, I hope I'm, this is not gonna get me into further trouble, but China, China. Who seem to be sitting at the top of everything right now? China, you know, China, China, China. Is, but is that because of is this is the plan of one communist world, a communist world? Not only the communist world. For them, uh, China, you know, which is a very talented country, has a lot of innovative. Uh, I've been to China. Uh, uh, President Xi, very, very, very smart man. But China, for them, as long as it's not a democracy, they have total control over their people. If we empower China, you know. It's better than empowering a democracy like the United States. Because they can get voted out. Yeah, the vote, the, so it's not China's fault. China is not evil. Chinese people are very smart, very innovative, very the government, hardworking. The government's evil. The, the, the CCP. I wouldn't call the Chinese government evil, to be wouldn't honest it? with you. No, no, I wouldn't Communists, call it. No freedom for people. <coughs> I clamp down their people. There's two million Muslims in concentration Chinese, camps. I think the Chinese government is way more democratic than all Muslim countries. And trust me, they treat the Muslim population, despite issues we have with that, they treat them, in my opinion, better than a lot of Muslim countries treat Muslims. But that still doesn't give them a pass about the situation. But China simply was having this free lunch. Why would China reject it? Why would China say no? The West is giving up itself. The reason, the concept, you remember, George Bush Sr. was not only the head of the CIA, before becoming vice president. Before that, he was the US ambassador to China. So the concept is, we can't keep the wealth and the stability with the Europeans 
and the Americans, because they are democratic, they have concepts like human rights, equality, freedom. These are very, very disrupting concepts to the ruling elite. So the best is to move the power, move the power into China. And break and, all the arrests. Yeah, and China didn't do, there was no conspiracy. I can authoritatively confirm, China is not in a conspiracy to control the world. China found the pathways open and they just drove through them. High speed, full speed. And they still are. Yeah. Only in Africa now. Yeah, yeah, they're in Africa, they're in the Middle East. Yeah, the moment, yeah. Jordan just signed, Jordan signed uh, just five days ago, the, uh, became a part of the Road and Built Initiative. So basically, Jordan has been handed to China now. And this is a very important country, strategic wise. So uh, if anyone would think, that the conflict is with Islam or with Muslims, they are short-sighted. It's are you a, calling me short-sighted? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm I'm, if that's what I'm you think. Playing, I'm playing. If Go that's on. what you think, yeah. No, so, uh, the problem is not with Muslim or Islams. The Muslims are being used. used just, no, I agree. I agree with that. They're flooding Europe with people who they believe there's going to be a clash. And is that because <coughs> is that because many of the Muslim migrants who are coming here will be quite happy to be reliant on the state? They want big government. Do you think as well? Is that what the it is? Muslims it? who came here, they don't have uh, proper education. Or ambition. Yes. yes, they might have no. In their countries, the Syrians are very innovative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Syria was... Well, the not, Afghanis, the Pakistanis. <coughs> I would say, put it this way. I would say the way they put them into this, it's easy to think that, you know, they're lazy, they come to feed, to leash off our benefit system, we do nothing. In reality, the way they put, you know, if you're thrown somewhere with nothing, and you know you already have no language, no proper education. You were extracted from the country. You. You're probably going to just opt for the for the benefit system because it's easy. It doesn't give him an excuse. But on the other hand, uh, Muslims who come here to this continent have no say about them because I've been aware, fully aware of the smuggling route and how all Western governments used to give a blind eye to make it happen. Mm. So they can't go back to say their country, but they can go back to nice. to Germany. So that said, um, the problem is Muslims are being used as a tool to bring the West down. To its knees. And by bringing the West down, damaging the economic system, damaging the social system, and potentially creating, with people getting angrier every day, they're creating, uh, they're creating a clash, you know, not a civil war, but there is, Possibly. You know, people will eventually, you know, and sadly, it's not unlikely that there will be a clash. So that being the case, um, they're just bringing the continent, the West, down. And they're opening the pathway for China to take over. Because China is the model they can deal with. It's not a full, like it's not the worst dictatorship, but it's not <laughs> a democracy. So they would rather deal through the system. And by the way, all of those so-called globalists, they are hearty party with the Chinese government. No, and, they all love it. And also many... Admire it. They say it's great, what, like admiring it. Yeah, and many of them have incredible investments in Interests, China. Interests, yeah. It, so it's, it is, it is their, their model, their, their vessel of globalism. What do you... So you're, you're, what did you think? Let me just bring you back to my hometown. You travelled, you've been in Jordan seven years, you land in Luton. <coughs> you land in Luton, you're a Muslim. Yeah. You're Palestinian. What do you think of my town, Luton? Luton. Mm -hmm. 
Luton is the epitome. <laughs> Luton is the. Uh, I was doing my PhD at University of Bedfordshire. Okay. And it was my second year. You know, a PhD can do four to six years, depends on where you go. So you've done it, a lot of learning. Yeah. So I've done. It was my second year, and I had at least two more years to go. And all we could do, all we could take, is one year in Luton. We couldn't. My wife couldn't take anymore. We had to leave. Uh, what broke the camel's back for me was as a Muslim, we my you know I bought my son a Christmas tree, and we bought it and you know Luton we took the taxi uh, you know from where the mall is yep. took the taxi in the back where farm food is yep. and they took me to where I was and this where was it Barry Park no 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 I was uh, I forgot what's called the Larches area the okay. Larches where yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that said. I have this Christmas tree in the car, and I have my six-year-old kid in the car, and there's a taxi driver, and he keeps giving me the look, and he goes, you're a Muslim, right? And I was like, yes, sir. Alhamdulillah, thanks God, I'm a Muslim. He goes, what, what you doing with the Christmas tree? Is it for you? And I was like, yes, it's for me. He goes, you're a Muslim and who celebrates Christmas? So, well, in my country, Jordan slash Palestine, we celebrate Christmas. In fact, Guess what? Christmas began in my country, in Palestine. Uh, you know, Jesus was Jewish, but again, he was from that land, so... And uh, the rest was, you know, a verbal battle ensued about how, you know, ashamed to Islam I was and how I sucked the uh, English people's shoes. That's the word he used, you suck their shoes. And this was all in front of my six-year-old. And there was another incident, and I have to mention it, where I we had... Uh, I came back with Subway sandwiches, and again was my boy, this time seven-year-old, and the driver goes like, this is halal. I told him I didn't know if it's halal or not, and then I was dumb enough to start a, a, an argument with him, telling him how in the Quran it says... You can eat whatever you want. We, yeah, it doesn't say you have to eat this and that. And it, so that was, my wife was like, that's it, you know, find us a place where our most beloved core religionist would not be abundant. You know, because we want to live normally, we don't want radicals around us. That's Luton for you. Luton is the nightmare of every Western or Englishman who has fear about people like me, Muslims, coming into this continent. What I've seen in Luton, okay, I've seen people who don't care for Islam, people who pimp little girls. I'm not saying Muslims. I've seen some people, <coughs> some gangs, who pimp 15, 13, 14-year-old with drugs and cigarettes and even a meal. I've seen all of those people and who sell alcohol, and not uh, drugs, and who told me several times, you know, like uh, they offer everything a Muslim or a non-Muslim shouldn't have. And then when there's a protest for Palestine, the you see them at the front line, the same exact people. For me, this is turning my religion into a cult. But they, they use the drugs that, that to justify it like a chemical jihad as well. So the drugs, as long no, as they're no, selling no. them to non-Muslims, it's okay. No, they sell them to Muslims. And, and, and they also fund, to get around it, look, I know a lot of their drug dealers, to, I know them all grown up, to get around it, they give big donations to the mosques, big donations to the religious side as well. So they use the drugs, but they also fund the religion. Um, 
the fund in the religion is to keep themselves legit. Yeah, yeah that's it. Keep themselves legit yeah, in the eyes of the community. To keep themselves legit, and I think throw the money in. Yeah, and I, I'm you know the imams who take the donation, I probably know exactly where it came from. Yeah, of course. Because the drug dealers, the family, yeah, there's one particular gang over there which is very famous, and everyone knows. The they drive around in Lamborghinis, Lamborghinis, Ferraris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know them, you know, and many of them. One of them told me. You know, I'm with XYZ gang. If you run through any problems with those white people, just tell me. Mm. So that said, that said. Nick, fuck, Nick Lowe's, you know Hope Not Hate? What? You know Hope Not Hate, the organization? Do you know Hope Not Hate? Who? Hope Not Hate? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hope Nick Lowe's went and had meetings with this gang. The gang you're talking yeah, 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 about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nick Lowe's yeah, was sitting down in Luton with heroin dealing, pimping, yeah. child pimping gangs in order to get them to say negative things about me. I just. But Just because you brought the, up this the, game. The, the issue is, Tommy, the people have turned our Muslim identity into somewhat of a cult. It's protection. It's a method of protection. Someone I knew, he's Palestinian, he got caught uh, using a very sophisticated and innovative, ingenious method to steal off credit cards. He would use the credit card on an airplane and it turns out there's a glitch in the system where he could charge like he charged one a 500 quid credit card 16,000 pounds so he, and he got caught and you know what he was saying they caught me this is all racist because I'm a muslim like i knew he was lying he knew he was lying there's you know this stigma you know when when you come against muslims yes. everyone oh, no 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 muslim non muslim if you really want Muslims to be good, the, the rules should apply to them like everybody else. And yes, there is, you know, the stigma of Islam versus Christianity, Crusaders versus Islam. It's nonsense. And those people know how to use it very, 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 very well. Benefit, yeah. And the um, example, the Betridge police, they had their own rules for when, how to arrest someone if they're praying. Yeah, in the Muslim house, and if the women, they have to let the women get ready. Like if they go and raid a house, they have to wait wait for the women to get ready. It's like if you come kick off our doors, you don't do that. It it's nonsense, and they know how to use it very very well. And the outcome is um, the outcome is ridiculous. I, as a Muslim, resent exactly what I saw in Luton. There's a there's plenty of good Muslims in Luton who want to make an honest living who's not starting trouble, who just want to survive. There's plenty, I would safely say it's the majority. But there's a, a cult who know very well how to exactly use their religion. And I spoke to one of them. One of them, he wasn't in a gang, but he was, he had a business, small business, and he would get those young Eastern European women. Uh, they arrive, before Brexit, they would arrive literally with a ticket into Luton Airport. You know that. Yeah, yeah, the Polish. And nothing right. else. Not Polish. Hungarian, okay, yeah. Romanian. Yeah, yeah. And the girls, you know, young, 18, pretty, you know, they, they have nothing, 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 nowhere to go. And they start using the phone call and asking, where can I go? So this guy, I won't say which country he was from, but... I already know. Pakistan. <laughs> no, no, not, not, not <laughs> no, Pakistan. He was Arab. Oh, okay. okay. He was Arab. He was Jordanian. <laughs> Okay. He had that business, so he forced me to say which country. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> want to say my country. So that's, he look. had this business, and he would particularly hire those girls, because the business had a, a small flat above where they can stay, six, seven girls together. 
So he would take advantage sexually of the girls. He would hire them for, for peanuts. And he would always brag how he had sex with this girl versus this girl. Oh, she came, I drove her off the airport and half an hour later we were in bed. And, and I was like, you know those girls are forces. No, I don't force anybody. And I was like, come on. You are an employer. In the United States, she would sue you, sue your pants off and the sexual harassment, this for that, you know? Mm. So he didn't buy it, any of it. And then he said, you know what? Those girls are uh, slaves. They are non-Muslims. So when I rape him, when I, if, even if it was rape, you know, as I, I told him, that's rape. Yeah, yeah. That is proper. Honest to God, Tommy, he told me that. Honest to God, he told me that. I'm not making any of this he up. He told you that there is property. He said those girls are slaves, so we can conquer them sexually. Concubine. Con no, no, conquer them. Like, the, excuse my language, the penetration yeah. is an act of conquest for him. Does this mentality exist? Yes. That's and this is to my fellow Muslims. To my fellow Muslims, don't give me nonsense. I pray five times a day. My kids are Muslims. My wife and daughters don't wear the hijab, but trust me, we're probably more abiding than most Muslims when it comes to religion. We don't drink, we don't eat pork, but what I've seen is young British white girls being preyed on by a lot of my fellow Muslims. How come all those sex rings being caught in the UK, it, in, in a good number of cases, it's Muslims? Because there is a mindset. Yes, there are rapists of all religions. There are people who were in, in, even in, in government who were caught to be pedophiles. But why do we seem to be, our folks are more habitual than the others? Maybe because there's a mindset that those are infidel white girls. Do you understand, he, when, I, do you understand when I go down a path of looking at this being linked to Islam. Do you understand when I talk about yeah, these yeah, issues? Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. It's linked in. Uh... And if there's a good Muslims like yourself, whenever I talk about this, I think, well, I don't want to upset you. Yeah, I don't want to upset ordinary it's, decent so people. But how is it not? Look linked? at this, Habibi. Hey, Habibi. Habibi means my beloved friend. Yeah, yeah. Habibi, how is it not linked to our religion when we have in the Hadith, okay, the claim that our Prophet, peace be upon him, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, had sex with a six-year-old. That, that piece of... Sahih Bukhari and Sahih yeah, Muslim. Yeah, that piece of experiment in the Hadith was narrated by a man who was born 200 years after 200, the, 100, 100. the Prophet's wife was dead. If I write a book today about Tommy, Tommy Robinson's great ancestor from 250 years ago, would anyone believe me? With no evidence, nothing. So they use that, and there's also the concept of... You don't accept the Hadith then yourself absolutely. as a Muslim? You, are you Quran no, no, only? I will only, no, 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 I'm not Quranic only, but I will only accept the Hadith that are consistent with the Quran. The Quran has 114 verses of jihad and war, mm -hmm. versus 600 verses, 6,000 versus 114. So it's not exactly the most violent book, by the way. Mm. It's according to religious scripture. I don't think it's actually violent. I think it has issues. We may disagree on this. But, you know, but, <laughs> no, we have, it no, has no, issues, but we can talk about it. But yep. it's not the most violent book. But the hadith, what about there's four verses in there that's, that explain outs, outs, this is what this man's talking about, I believe. Yeah. Outside of your four wives, you can take whatever your right arm possesses. Yeah? 
And it actually says that you are blameless, which essentially is slave girls. Yeah, if you go for slave women... Concubines, yeah. Yeah, well... Do you understand how problematic that? Yeah, I've seen a lot of my fellow Muslims trying to be apologists to that. Yeah. Uh, the best, you know, I can do on the apologist side is maybe it was acceptable then. Because even until recently, until 100 and 200 years ago, Slaves you could have had sex in, with, your, with your slave in the United States. Yeah. So maybe in those standards it was acceptable. But then there's another question mm. that we believe that our prophet was a thinker, an innovator. A, a reformist of religion, had the message of God, maybe the proper thinking was to say no more slavery, slavery at all. Mm. Also, here's the question, I mean, for Muslims, why you want to apply slavery today? When Afghanistan, uh, when the Taliban were expelled by the United States, the new government which took over was, oh, were also Muslim jihadists, but they were friendly to the United States. The Muslim jihadists who took over under the wing of the United States took the women of the Taliban as sex slaves. And they had sex with them and they said they are ghaziya, which means war slave. So this ideology sadly is still being entertained, especially in an issue related to sex, where people would love to find an excuse where they're going to have halal sex. So if XYZ, if John Smith from Luton wants to have a girlfriend or wants to cheat on his wife. It's, you know, that's it. I've done it. I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. Don't get caught. That's the worst scenario is getting caught, mm. getting divorced. On the other hand, you've, you've had this Muslim gang member who wants to pray five times a day and still sell drugs. They will always find a reason. Well, I'm selling drugs only to infidels. So I'm killing infidels. And I'm having sex only with non-Muslim women. So it's, you know, so. But to be honest with you, there are th um, the gangs in Luton, the ones I've met, were uh, equal opportunity drug sellers. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they sold to everyone. They knew I was a Muslim and they told me, if you want women or drugs, we can hook you up with whatever you want. Okay. What, what would, what, with the Israel-Palestine conflict, what would your view of a solution be for it? Solution is, first of all, we need to neutralize religion in the concept. I mean, come on, Israel doesn't abide by Jewish laws. And the state of Palestine, as it is today, is not exactly abiding by Islamic laws. They don't have uh, the jizya, they don't have the zakat, where you pay 2.5% of your wealth. They don't, so we need to phase out religion out of this and seek a... Uh, secular state or state whose identity is religious, like a Jewish state with no Jewish laws, which is what Israel is today. Palestinian Muslim state with no Muslim laws. Let's get rid of a mess. Yeah, uh, but we need to get, get the job done first, which is, the first thing is to get rid of Hamas. Now this is why I think, and let me say this clearly, they will, I'm expecting a terror attack on British soil in the very foreseen future. Less than six Christmas, months. Over Christmas? <coughs> not necessarily. There's yeah. not the <coughs> and, and you expect that by a lone wolf jihadist on uh, it Hamas operatives? It doesn't matter. Doesn't and matter. I don't believe there's something, there's no such thing as a lone wolf. Good. To go carry out a terror attack, you need a whole support system, ideology, it comes from somewhere. This is why, 
Saddam Hussein, whenever they had the, he had the jihadist, <coughs> he would go and arrest the entire family. Because yeah, he, knows he, all in he them. knows it came from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And usually it turns out, you know, it was. So I don't believe in lone wolves, to be honest. But that said, it doesn't matter. It could be a lone wolf. It could be someone they claim is crazy. It could be, but there will be a pain, at least an attempt for a very painful terror attack on British soil in the next six months because the Rishi Sunak government, in the eyes of the uh, jihadists, have done the unthinkable. Break the covenant. The Rishi Sunak government, the British government, stood against Hamas. Usually, Hamas members were tolerated in the UK. Many of them lived in the UK. Some of them were open Hamas, like Mohammed Sawala. He's openly connected to Hamas, and he lives here. He, he co-runs some news network, living the good life, gets bought a council house at discount price. And so all of a sudden, this 180 turn by the British government, siding with not actually Israel, actually with the United States, in seeking Hamas's destruction, this is like the ultimate, ultimate, you know, slap in the face for jihadists. And this is by the, the most tolerant Western government to them. So uh, one guy, his name is, um, I forgot his name, his, Sawalha, not Sawalha. He's a Muslim Brotherhood uh, member. He's a journalist. And he is a frequent visitor to the UK. And he's connected to Hamas. And he wrote an article, he's very famous, I'll, I'll get the name later. He wrote an article two days ago saying, what's happening in Gaza, destruction of Hamas, is gonna bring another 9-11. So it, for him, this is like a spokesperson for them. He's still it's in America, it's we're it's gonna it's attack it's you it's again it's for what you did. America is very difficult to attack because they're obsessed with security to the point of an extreme. In Europe. And it's far. UK is not as obsessed. And it has a larger population of Muslims in small areas, condensed. I think they're not going to be able to pull that one in the United States. So they're going to opt for the next British ally, American ally, which is the United Kingdom. Why? I pray to God this won't happen. I hope the MI5 will be alert for it not to happen. But the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas members in this country need to be watched, at least now. We're not asking you to change your policy and start kicking them out, but at least for uh, now, I am. I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm not sure they're going to listen to either one of us in this case. But let's say for now, for the next six months, please at least watch them a little bit. Let me ask you this, Muda. Um, you're, you're a Muslim. Absolutely. Yeah. You, do you love this country? You Ab love Britain? Absolutely. absolutely. Your children are British. They've grown up in Britain. What would uh, my, you, my kid is in the army. My son is your son, in the army. Yeah, yeah. Your son's in the army. Yeah. The British army. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very, very proud of him. Proud of him. How old is he? Yeah. Uh, 18. 18. 18. Yeah, he was a cadet for, for four years and now he's going all the way. Oh, well done, man. Yeah. Respect. Well, what, what do you think as a Muslim sitting in the UK? You've been to Luton, you've seen some of the problems, yeah. you know what's going on. What would you want the government to implement to? even halt the problem, I think we need to reverse the problem, but what, what, what policies could we do to address the jihadist problem, the migration problem, the fact we don't know who's coming in? What would you advocate for as a British Muslim? As a Muslim, it's in my best interest for the radicals to be eliminated because every religion in history that's been destroyed 
was actually hurt, destroyed, and compromised by the radicals. The radicals are the ones who destroy you all over the place. So it's my interest that they crack down on the radicals. It's easy to say a lot of the so-called experts, anti-Islam, Islamophobe experts, have been yelling Islam is evil but given no solution. Starts with the money, ends with the money. I am making this accusation on your show. Hamas has a vast network of actually a real estate empire in both Wales and England. And it finances Hamas to the core. I think the MI5 can easily verify this. Crack down on their money first. We can do, okay, do this, stop this, stop this. Crack down on the money first. Also the asylum business. Iranian money? No. It's money that mainly comes from uh, Qatar. Okay. And uh, the money is... <sighs> Attack the leaders, because Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood, they have their own leaders. Mm. At least Hamas connected Muslim Brotherhood. They have their own lead. They operate in openly. If you start cracking... Yeah, they don't even hide it. I remember looking in the Muslim Brotherhood years ago in, in the UK and just thought, they're here, look. They're not even hiding who they are. No, no, it's, it's easy. But the thing is, some of them, one of them even wrote a book. It said, Hamas from inside. He's openly telling you, I am Hamas. So with Hamas being designated, could I be walking around being a member of Al-Qaeda? No, no, no. So, you got yeah, so how can you not tolerate a Qaeda member? But they are tolerating. They're letting them fly flags. They're letting them call for jihad. Even his butt to here. They're letting all these groups. Our governments are. Sorry, that's, I, I no, no, that's, that's one thing. That's yeah. one thing. But I think, they're, I think they need to apply the rules because you have very strong counterterrorism laws in the aftermath of the attacks in 2005, but very few of them are being applied, especially when it comes to financing terrorists. Terrorism operates on money. If there was no money, they would have uh, not done that. Also, the issue with the asylum there should be initial screening uh, in the sense that the United States found itself facing a huge asylum problem. And when the United States found that it's gone beyond what they can think, what they did is they implemented a law, not a law, it's <coughs> actually a regulation back in uh, 2000 and uh, I think, yeah, year 2000. Asylum seekers who don't have very obvious, very obvious needs were actually put in jail until their cases are looked at. So this way, when they know that they, they, they will face jail until the case is looked at, only the real ones came. Yeah. So imagine how, you know, how, listen, we're talking about people, this is where, you know, it's, emptying the spirit of the British nation. If compromising a, you know, nullifying the spirit of Europeans and the European continent. I spent 120,000 quids to make one move from Jordan to UK. Tuition fees, University of Bedfordshire cost me like almost, almost 11,000 pounds a year for my PhD. Uh, settling in a house, paying six months in advance because I have no history of credit. Buying brand new furniture, brand new car. Christmas tree. Uh, the whole other Christmas tree, which, <laughs> which caused me a fight. 
<laughs> I, we did the math and in 2010, late 2010, it cost me 120,000 quids just to move over here. Yeah. Just to make the move, to land, Luton, not, not, in, <laughs> not in Knightsbridge. Mm. When you see someone arriving on a boat and getting all the advantage, British, young British people are, are pissed, including my children. Yeah. My daughter was telling me, I can't, I can't stay in, sorry, I can't stay in a hotel like them. So why, why are they getting, my daughter is saying that, 17-year-old. Mm. And also the issue of, you know, they're skipping, like it's very, very, they could have stayed in France. No, they want the freedom and love of the United Kingdom. So they're not asylum seekers, they're economic migrants. Not only economic migrants, I mean, listen, the, uh, a lot, I, I raised the alarm about them a long time ago. A lot of them came from incredibly problematic areas where, like, they found a lot of jihadists and some of Assad's henchmen were caught in Sweden and Germany. Yeah, and yeah. People who have videos killing people. Yeah, yeah, I see. Or torturing people. And so it's this mess, none of it is by coincidence. I think the government of the UK is not a globalist government, in my opinion, because of its position on Hamas. So that might bring kindle the hope for a position on immigration. Immigration keeps countries alive. Immigration keeps countries fertile, keeps countries controlled immigration. Pro prosperous. Controlled immigration. As long as you bring the right people. Yeah, controlled. You need more doctors in this country. You need more nurses. What, what wouldn't hurt you if you bring nurses and doctors in this country? Gary Lineker, Gary Lineker, holders and Gary Lineker said they're all nurses. Yeah. <laughs> <And> doctors. <laughs> yeah, but, but um, you know, you have the wrong people coming and it's, it's as someone who whose kids live here, I'm, I, I worry about my kids' future. We've done, we've gone by the book. Do you speak to a lot of other Muslims that worry? Uh, every Muslim who's intellectual or educated is worried. And they seem to be on the right, right side. Okay, so. The, the, the ones, the troublemakers are always, you know, crying out racism. The average, like, PhD holder, university professor, doctor, all of them seem to be anti-immigration and scared about the radicals because the radicals, they cause us trouble if they bomb somewhere, God forbid. It gives you a bad name. Yeah, then, then I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to have to look, look behind, around my shoulder, you know, and around my shoulder. And it's the average Muslims, the average, the hard-working Muslim do want this. Now, there's also an underlying uh, taqiyya issue. You know taqiyya? Lying, if you can lie to non-Muslims, you know, as long as it furthers the goals of Islam. It's, which is a Shia practice. It's Shia, right? it's, not a, it's not a Sunday practice, but it's... Some people do, do have that concept that, you know, I put it to you in this way. Unless you are very, very sick in the head, as a European, as an African, as a Buddhist, as a Chinese, when you see a woman dumped in, in, in the back of a pickup truck, half naked, with Hamas soldiers sitting over, over her broken knee. Mm. Unless you're very, a very sick individual, you won't enjoy it. But so many did enjoy it. I've seen a lot of my fellow co-religionists enjoying that. Not just your co-religionists though. Many on the left seem to have enjoyed it. What? Many non-Muslims seem to have enjoyed it. 
as well. I know Muslims have enjoyed it, but what we've seen is many... Not all Muslims, though. No, not all Muslims, yeah. but I know some Muslims have enjoyed it. But there were many that weren't Muslims seem to have enjoyed it. As long as Jews <coughs> suffer, you know. As long as Jews, as long as Jews suffer, it's... it's uh, it's a, it's a, listen. And the two have come together, the jihadists, I, the, the Nazis, the far right and the far left, they've all The Nazis and the radical Muslims have always been in bed together since Hajj, I mean, Al-Husseini, a uh, Palestinian who went to meet Hitler. Hitler, he had his and he SS, com Mufti And he comprised divisions. SS divisions of the uh, Bosnian Serbs, yeah. uh, Bosnian Muslims. And uh, also there are questions about Hitler's ideology. There's no, I, I, as an academic, I can't claim authority on that because I don't have evidence, I haven't done the reading. Mm. But the concept of a supreme race is very similar to the Hadith, Hadith concept of a supreme religion. The concept of, you know, according to Hadith, we're not going to kill all the infidels and the Muslims, but we're going to make them live as second-class citizens under, under our patronage. It's the same what Hitler, well, he wasn't saying kill all non-Germans, but let them live underneath you, under your control. So did Hitler read those books? I don't know. Hitler's, word, Hitler's own words, he admired Mohammed. You know that? Yeah, he admired Mohammed, and he actually described it as a um, far more beneficial system than, Christian, than the Christian one. Religion. Well, I, I would love to think that our prophet wasn't wasn't like that because I don't think <coughs> the hadith. I don't I don't believe that. They separate the hadiths. I don't think the hadith. A lot of it is because mm. I'll, I'll 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 I won't I will end it on this note. Yeah, Some of the stuff you read in the hadith is a it's mental. Not only that, it's it's an, insane. Not only insane. It's an insult to the prophet himself. Like one hadith claiming that the prophet's wife gave a, a display of how to bathe to two men. Mm. Who, you know, how could you say this about our prophet and claim it's true? And there's a part where they say how a female monkey committed adultery and then the rest of the monkeys stoned her to death. I mean, come on, come on. Yeah. Oh, don't, I just find so much of it mad. When I look for it, I used to do Hadith of the Week back in the day. I used to pick yeah. out a Hadith just yeah. to laugh at. I, um, but it's not funny, though, because we can laugh at it here, yeah. but some people are governing entire nations by this bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're enslaving people based on what this Hadith says. It's funny. It's funny laughing about it here, but it's actually not, because they're actually enforcing these beliefs around certain parts of the world. Well, it's... Uh, again... Uh, a lot of it is to, I, I blame West, the Western establishment for it because it's been empowering the Muslim Brotherhood. I mean, you mm. saw how much Obama's government gave oh, mate, yeah, to... Uh, Obama the, propped them up, built them. Not only, not, not only in Syria and in Jordan, mm. Jordan, you know, he propped up the king who's like the political leader of the Muslim Brotherhood movement. Mm. They call him Breather Number Zero, believe it or not. And then he, he propped up the Mercy, the, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. Mm. And uh, it was, yeah, so, and then he propped up the, uh, the, Arab Spring, the right? Libyan, Libyan uh, Muslim Brotherhood government, which is still in control today. <coughs> so, uh, those people are terrorists. How can you prop up terrorists? Because Obama's a terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously he followed the, he was a part of the, George Bush. the establishment. <laughs> and you know, the Hill Clintons and the Bushes are incredibly chummy.
So it doesn't even make a lot of sense. How can they be so close? And how they both ganged up against uh, Trump. So you can tell the connections between people. But, you know, MO, MO, it's the outcome of someone, someone's actions <coughs> what define him. Let me ask you one last question. Sure. What sort of backlash do you think you're going to get for sitting here having this sort of conversation with myself? Hmm? What sort of backlash do you think you're going to get for sitting having these conversations with a, someone who's someone like myself? <laughs> you ready for it? Zero. Zero, good. Because I, I couldn't care less. And also I do, I do my, the best method which will help me when I become Jordan's president. I terrorize the terrorists. You mess with me. You got me, my vote, bruv. You mess <laughs> with me, I will mess with you 10 times fold, not just one, okay? I think the only thing that could come out of this, I think Care would look at what I said and see if there's anything legal they can do. I didn't say, <coughs> I didn't say Care was Muslim Brotherhood. They didn't care, say I'm Muslim Brotherhood, you're terrorists, you're scumbags, <laughs> and I couldn't give a fuck. Come for me, like everyone else, get in the okay, queue. Okay, I'm saying you are friends with Muslim Brotherhood figure. And Join I'm the queue, you scumbags, yeah. and America needs to get rid of you. So. Well, no, no, and listen, the, it's, we're fighting for our children. We're fighting for our future. We're fighting, in my case, to the most nauseate, to end the most nauseating conflict in history, in modern history, which is a bogus fake conflict. I want a Jordan ruled by the majority, which is economically, politically, and socially connected to the Palestinian Arabs in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, or the West Bank, and which will eventually, in the future, pro through progression, re-education of our children, cracking down on Islamists with a, with a firm hand, Maybe in 30 years, we would be as open to one another as uh, Belgium and the Netherlands is, or as UK and France is, or as Wales and England is. But that's my long term. I'm 50 year old. I'm healthy. I think I can do another 40 doing this. So yeah, until I die, that's my mission. Meanwhile, I can only wish that uh, Tommy Robinson wouldn't be pushed into this third tier treatment. What's that mean? You, they, 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 they deplatformed you. Don't get me wrong. You know, you can be an idiot, but at the same time, <laughs> what you're saying, what you're saying, what you're saying is, you know, rock, uh, rocking the boat and disrupting the rhythm, which the establishment, the cabal, the globalist establishment in the world doesn't like let alone the UK. So usually the way I've seen it happening is, you know, they de-platform you, then uh, they start giving you legal trouble, then they hit you with something really, really hard. You know, it's something that's gonna keep you away for 15, 20 years, years yeah. or something that's gonna keep you away forever. It's always been my worry, yeah. So, uh, you know, for the sake of your kids, mm. I pray to my God Almighty that uh, you will be protected as much as I disagree with you. You know? Yeah. Well, Mudas, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's man. a pleasure talking and, um, to you. Thank you. And I want to add on this note yeah. it's cheesy, but I want to say it. UK saved my life. When I ran here from Jordan's King, was the home office to simply turn me away and return me to Jordan. I was going to get killed. The reason I'm alive today, the reason I have a three year old child named Daniel, the reason my son, 
can still hug me and walk, walk with me and walk the dog. It's because this nation took me in and saved me and protected me. And uh, I hate to be taken advantage of your show. The young woman who interviewed me at the home office, her name is Gamma. I won't say her full name. I'm alive today because of you. Thank you. Do you know, you know, I'll just well, I'll finish on one thing, because when, when I was 12 years old, there was um, the Bosnian conflict, and there was a, a young family, his father was killed, and they come lived in my road. They lived with the bishops. They moved in with the bishops. A mum, a mum, her son, her son was put in the year below me at school, and the daughter, which was a few years below me at school. I They lived in our road. They went to our school. Great, they're Muslim. Great integrated into society. A fabulous young man he's become with a great career. And that... For me, that's real help, and, and Britain, and most, every British person would be proud of that, saving people's lives. That's not what we're seeing. Yeah? People, that's not what this, this migration invasion that we're seeing is not women, it's not people under threat. That's where people are getting frustrated. So everyone, like I look at what we've done for that family, and it makes you proud to be British of what we've done to that family. We saved them. And then I look at how that family have developed in the UK, and they're brilliant citizens, yeah? But... We're seeing the opposite at the minute, which is why I think many in the British public aren't against ordinary people or people who need saving like yourself or coming here with a hard-working family. It's against the liberty takers, the people who are lying, the people who are coming in who don't have any intention to, to benefit this nation. But I, again, I just... Uh, and the people who think that they have outsmarted... The system. The, the system. The people who think they are, you know, too smart. That's why they're getting away with be it the benefits, the credit card fraud, the uh, pedophilia... I've met those people in Luton and elsewhere, and they really, really think they're untouchable. They really yeah, think they that, are. and I'm quoting here, yeah. I'm not trying to be more Catholic yeah. than the Pope. I'm not trying to be more British than Britain. They can do one and all. I, I can't do that. I won't do that against my own people. Most Muslims are normal, God-fearing people. But I've seen those people you mentioned, and they literally, they think that, quote-unquote, white people can do anything to us. No, no. Which is ridiculous. If you're watching this, I thank you for watching it. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to sit down and have these sorts of conversations. I actually embrace them. I love them. I love talking to many different people with different points of view, different backgrounds, hearing their stories, understanding who they are. Thank you. You make it possible. Please like, please subscribe, please share these conversations. Where can people follow you, Mudar? Uh, at Mudar underscore Zaran, uh, Twitter, at, at Mudar underscore Zaran, Mudar, M-U-D-A-R underscore Zahran, Zulu Alpha Hotel, Romeo Alpha November. Thank you. I wish you safety and tell your son. Take care of safety as well. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you very much, bro. Carry on watching for more interesting guests. I'll talk to anyone. I'll debate anyone. I'll hear anyone's story. If you want to help me along that way, it's not free. I need your support. If you can support my family, that gives me my peace of mind. It means I can continue to do the work I do. You can do so at www.supporttommy.com. I appreciate every bit of support, as do my children. It gives me the ability to fly them out here to see me so I can stay in constant contact with them. I'm de-platformed and I'm censored, so I need you. I need you to share this content. Make sure you stay tuned for upcoming weekly guests, interesting guests, exciting guests. I'm Tom Robson, and this has been my podcast, Silent.